been, uh, I guess, well, you don't know this, but I was 1966, so long ago, most of you weren't even born then. That's when I was ordained. Well, today, we're going to look at a passage from John, uh, chapter 14. I want to read uh, from that passage, and I want to go back a few verses uh, to get the context. So let's uh, begin with a prayer, and then we're going to dig in. Father, thank you for the privilege of preaching and of worshiping you. Thank you that all of us have the promise of life everlasting. Thank you, Lord, for the promise that your spirit is with us as we look to your word. And I pray you will open that word to us, not just to our heads, but to our hearts, so that we believe and serve you in thanksgiving for the wonder of our salvation. Hear us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, if you have your Bibles out, you might want to open up to, uh, are we supposed to send, a ch am I supposed to send the children away? Pardon? Yes. They're gone? Oh, kids, if you're still here, you're supposed to go to the kids' church. Okay? I forgot about that. We never sent our kids out. We never, I had churches with just one room. And... I have to tell you, I saw one of those churches. I was at, uh, at one of my doctors, uh, the guy who uh, cleans out my ears and stuff, and uh, he had a picture of a church on a hill, and it looked like an old South Dakota church, and I preached in many, many South Dakota churches. And I asked him, I said, where is that church? What is it? Oh, he says, it's no particular church. He said, I just like to paint. He said, I painted that, and it gives me peace. So that's the kind of church I used to preach in, and we didn't have a place to send children. We didn't even have a hallway. We didn't have indoor plumbing. You can imagine how quickly the children who had to go during the service came back in. When it's 30 below outside, we, by the way, we call them summer houses. Summer for men and summer for women. So that's what we had. All right, I'm going to start on chapter 13 of John's Gospel, verse 31. Verse 31 of John 13, and I'll read through 14, verse 6. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you and also you are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. 
Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we're going to stop reading there. As we look at this passage, particularly as we look at these six verses, first six verses of chapter 14 of John's Gospel, what we're looking at is a continuation of what has been uh, preached throughout the summer, the hope of the scriptures, the hope that we have, the hope that Jesus' disciples have in Jesus. It is the hope that we will go where Jesus is. He will come and he will get us and we will go to be with him. Now, as I think about this passage, I think about some time ago when we lived on Lookout Mountain. On a Monday night, there wasn't a whole lot to do on Lookout Mountain. But what you could do on certain Monday nights of the week is you could go down to the firehouse and watch the firemen doing their training. And I thought, well, I'll go and do that and see what they're up to. Well, what they were up to is learning what to do if they were captured or caught in a burning house with lots of smoke. I don't know if you've ever had that experience of trying to find your way through a smoky house. I have, and it is uh, uh, pretty disorienting. Well, what they learned was that if they could find the hose, they could find their way out, because the fire hose is built in a very special way. It has a coupling between the hoses, and the one side of the coupling has two protrusions or two bumps, and the other is smooth or has just one protrusion. And so the little ditty that they could remember to be safe in a fire is bump, bump to the pump. This hose, two bumps, went to the pump. The other one went to the fire. Very, very important, of course, that they would know the difference. Because if they thought they were getting out of a burning building and burned up in the fire, it was not good at all. And as I heard that little phrase, which has stuck with me, obviously, for years and years and years, as I heard that, I thought of John 14. Now, you might not think of John 14 when you hear that, but I think of connections with the scripture. And bump, bump to the, uh, bump, bump to the pump means... To me, there is a way to escape the difficulties, the haze, the problem, the suffering of life. It is to take the proper course 
and go to Jesus. And this is what we're talking about today. There's a way to disaster and a way to death. There's a way to safety and a way to life. There's a way to hopelessness and there's a way to hope. And what we do here at Pinewoods is we preach Jesus. And Jesus is the way to hope. It's crucial. In the smoke of life, it's crucial that we get the right way. And especially, I think, in this generation and in this time, it's crucial that we understand in all of the wokeness that is around us, that real wokeness is following the way to Jesus. All of the rest is going to lead you to trouble and disaster. We really should not underestimate the importance of that, of what's going on around us. We should not underestimate how serious the, the devil, that old serpent, the deceiver from the beginning, how he seeks to get us in his grasp and to lead us into this fire. We should not underestimate that, my friends. Do not underestimate that. We know by nature the way to trouble, don't we? We know how to get there. We don't have to be taught. Take a little baby and check it out. They start fussing. They start trouble. They don't have to be taught how to be disrespectful or how to be... Uh, how to lie and tell untruths, because that's our nature. We learn that from the scripture. Romans 5 tells you that very clearly. If you know about Romans 5, by the way, if you want to know about sin coming to man and death by sin, just look at verse 12, turn the numbers around, read through verse 21. You read those verses, read them sometime. And you'll see that our sin is such that we will automatically do what is wrong. Doing what is wrong does not make us sinners. Being sinners causes us to do what is wrong. You understand that? What that means? That means that Scripture tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're born that way. Scripture says... The wages of sin is death. Any little town you go to in the Dakotas will teach you that lesson, that the wages of sin is death. Because guess what you're going to find there? Even after the bar is gone, you're going to find a cemetery. Why? People die. Why do they die? Because the wages of sin is death. Why do we follow the wrong path? Because we follow the way of sin. We share, all of us, in Paul's confession, as he confessed when he wrote to Timothy, the Lord Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. We always are concerned about the other person, aren't we? Yeah, that's uh, part of sin. But uh, actually, when we get down 
to our own hearts when we confess our sins. That's why we confess it here. We are the chief of sinners. We have disobeyed God. And that started way at the beginning. That started in the garden. The devil was there. Peter says he's going around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And there he was, seeking to devour our first parents. We have inherited, let us say, or we, have par- we partake in that sin. And that's why we do wrong. That's why we'll take the wrong way by nature. But God gives us the right way. I think I need to tell you, folks, how stubborn we are about taking the wrong way. Some time ago, where it was nice and flat in the Midwest, my wife and I took flying lessons. And I was up flying a private airplane about the second time I was up solo, and I wanted to go back. Now, in those days, GPS was not the big deal. It was VORs, uh, radio signals. And the the VOR said, go to 11 o'clock. I said, that's wrong. I'm going to 1 o'clock. So I went to 1 o'clock, but I didn't see the VOR. So I said, I must be wrong. Turned around, went back to where I came from, and I said, "Ah, that's still wrong. I got to go to 1 o'clock. I did that three times. And finally, it occurred to me that the instructor had said, if all else fails, follow your instruments. So I said, okay, just to prove it's wrong, I'm going to go to 11 (laughs) o'clock. I went to 11 o'clock. Two minutes later, there on the ground, the big white VOR, there it was. That's how we are. Why would I go three times? Because that's the nature of man. That's the nature we all participate in. There is, though, a right way. There is a way of hope. There is a way of life. There is a way to avoid the haze of the smoke of the fire. And Jesus tells us that So simply, as he's talking to his uh, disciples, he says, let not your heart be troubled. What this is about is, he's about to go to the cross. He's going to suffer, he's going to die, he's going to be buried, and then he's going to ascend. And his disciples have been with him three years. He's not only their mentor and and their savior, he's their friend. And he's going to be gone. And that bothers him. And Peter, remember, Peter said, I'll go with you. Peter always said things impulsively. I'll go with you. Jesus says, you can't go where I'm going. But then he tells them, don't let your hearts be troubled. I am going to get a place ready for you, and then I will come again. He says that to us as well as to those disciples. Where is Jesus now? He has ascended. Where is he gone? He was taken 
from his disciples, and Acts 2 describes it, taken up into heaven. And as I, re, as I think of that passage, I think, boy, we just got it exactly right in the last couple of weeks. They were looking up into heaven. Jesus had said, you're going to go and be my disciples to Jerusalem, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And they're looking up into heaven thinking, whoa, where'd Jesus go? And the angel says, stop gazing up into heaven. Look to Uganda. Look to someplace else. He's coming back. You don't need to be looking up into heaven. And that's what Jesus is telling us in this passage. Thomas, of course, Thomas asked the question. And we shouldn't be so hard on Thomas as some people are inclined to be. He's just a guy trying to figure out what is it that Jesus is talking about. Isn't that why you're here today? To know what Jesus is talking about. Where did he go? Where is he going? What's going on? And Jesus answers him. Thomas says, I don't know where you're going. How can I know the way? And Jesus does not mock him. Jesus does not belittle him. Jesus doesn't brush him off. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now I want to take a little sidetrack here because sometimes we see this uh, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, as a way for people to become Christians. And if you're not a Christian today and you're listening to this passage, it is a way to become a Christian. It's the only way to have life and hope. It's the only way to escape the burning building. But this isn't about just a new Christian. Thomas is a disciple. He's a follower. He's been with Jesus. You folks, most of you, it seems to me at least most of you, maybe I'm overstepping here, believe in Jesus. You've been following him. You know about him. This is for us. We need to know and be reminded that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So now if you're taking notes, it's the time for the three points. I'm a little slow. I'm getting there. <laughs> but I want to take these apart. They go together, but I want to take them apart just to talk about them, and then you can put them back together in your minds again later. Jesus starts with saying, I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And many people have pointed out, and uh, I'm inclined to think there's something to that, that Jesus is reminding the Jewish ear of Moses and the burning bush. Where Moses said, uh, who shall I tell the people of Israel has sent me? And God said, I am. I am that I am. God, eternal, without beginning, without end. He just is. God is. And, and so it's possible that Jesus is referring to that when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is God. He is able to save. He's willing to save. And he's about to go to Jerusalem to give his life on the cross. But before he does that, it takes three chapters of John. That's amazing, isn't it? Three chapters, 14, 15, 16, to reassure his disciples, to reassure us, to show which way is the right way to go 
for freedom. No one, he says in verse 6, comes to the Father but by me. No one. So Jesus is exclusive. This isn't about a lot of different ways to get to heaven. You all get there in the end. I know that I used to be told, I was told this the first year I was in the ministry by somebody on the street. Well, everybody wants to go to heaven. Well, that's true. But everybody's not going the right way on that hose, are they? Some of them are missed the lesson. Skipped over that. We don't need that lesson. We don't need confession. We don't need faith. We don't need to learn about Jesus. We'll get there. And away they go. The wrong way. There's exclusivity, exclusivity here. When Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but by me, he is saying that he alone is the Savior. There is no other Savior. Look what he says. He is the way. He is the way. Remember those firemen who were in training. There's only one way for them. Only one way. And they're not experiencing it. They just had the hoses under a truck, the lights turned out, and they were working their way through under the truck, trying to get into their heads that bump, bump to the pump is the simple answer. There was no choice for them for safety. It's one way, and Jesus is the way. To Timothy, Paul wrote, there's one mediator, one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. First Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, oh, it's first. Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid. God laid the foundation. Jesus is the foundation. We have all this about building your house on a rock. You know that song about build your house on a rock? Pretty important thing. You can have a sinkhole in Florida, can't you? Yeah, our neighbors, our neighbors had a sinkhole, and I thought it was maybe a PVC that was leaking. I was going to dig a little hole and help them out, and I started digging, and my shovel went to the top of the handle. And then the utility workers came and said, boy, you shouldn't stand that close to that hole. That's 10 feet deep. Digging a hole is not the way to find the way. Trusting Jesus, that's how it works. He's the foundation. He is the rock. He is the Savior. And all of Scripture testifies to that. In John 5, in verse 39, Jesus says, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and those are, they are they which testify of me. The Bible teaches Jesus. He is the way. It's not just the way of Jesus the man. Notice how things have changed. Jesus, the disciples are thinking about a place and Jesus answers about a person. He is the way. Things changed just a little bit because it's the way that Jesus has of suffering, something which Peter couldn't understand. He said, not so, Lord. I don't want this to happen to you. But it is the way of suffering. 
And it is the way of death. It is the way of resurrection. It is the way of ascension. And it is the way of Jesus right now at the right hand of God making intercession for us. He is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. You heard that in a sermon a few weeks back about Melchizedek. Read Hebrews uh, 5, 6, and you'll find out about Jesus as the Savior Melchizedek. Put simply, this is what it's about. We are guilty of sin. Every one of us are guilty of sin. Jesus is innocent. But Jesus, who's innocent, takes our guilt upon himself so that we are pronounced innocent. We, by grace, are saved. It's amazing. Have you seen grace? Have you ever seen grace in your life? I can tell you what I saw. When I think of grace, I think of this every time. When I was in college, I broke the rules. Hard to believe, isn't it? I drove on a sidewalk with my car, my little little beetle. Surprised it even made it up the curb. But my friend, and he was my friend, the uh, security guard, Mac, I had coffee with Mac and we would talk about things and so on. And Mac came up and gave me a ticket for $5. Now for you guys, $5 probably doesn't mean a thing. I was making $1 a week. I had no money in my checking account. I was broke. $5 meant everything to me. The next morning, as I was standing in the breakfast line, I, was, I had to count people, that was my job. And uh, as they were coming through, here came Mac. And Mac said, you still got that ticket? I said, yes, here it is. He looked at it, he tore it up. Grace, that is grace. That is God's showing us how amazing he is in saving us. And that can only happen because Jesus is the way. And he is the truth. And he is the truth. Yes, there is truth. Believe it or not, there is truth. The devil said there is no truth to our first parents. Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? As if, well, who knows what truth is? And we live in an age where people say, well, truth is whatever you want to make it. No, there is truth, real truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. And in his high priestly prayer in John 17, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This Bible is truth. We can know truth truly. That doesn't mean we have to know it exhaustively. We can't know truth exhaustively, but we can know it truly. Let me just say we don't have to know where the hose came from or what the hose is made of to know that it will lead us to safety. That's really what it is about. We don't have to know truth exhaustively, but we do know it truly, and we know that Jesus is the truth. 
Jesus, our Savior, tells us things that we can trust in. He gives us the ground and the hope that we have in us. It is the ground for our hope. Jesus gives us a solid hope so that we're building our house on a rock, not on the shifting sand. He is truth. And you put together Jesus is the way and the truth, and you get life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. His disciples don't understand all of that at this point, but they will, particularly when Jesus is resurrected from the dead. They talk about it on the road to Emmaus. They talk about who Jesus is, what he has done, and suddenly their hearts burn within them as they're eating bread with Jesus because they know he's the one who's been explaining himself from Scripture all along. Peter figures it out. Peter, have you thought about that? Peter figures it out. Peter who said, not so, Lord, don't, you're not going. At Caesarea Philippi, he said, you're not going to the cross. You don't have to die. He figured it out with the Mount of Transfiguration, and then he explains it in 2 Peter chapter 1, that he was there, and the promises of God are confirmed in Jesus, the risen Savior and Lord. His disciples figured out that there's life in him. And because of that, they followed him. Think about what happened after Jesus' resurrection. They were willing to give their lives, become martyrs for Jesus. Martyrs witness, by the way. It's the same word. They became martyrs. Look at... uh, The sermon at Pentecost, when Peter preached at Pentecost, what gave him the courage to preach that sermon? He did not have an audience that would be naturally supportive. These guys, they were a little hostile. Speaking of hostile, I was uh, ordained in the 60s. You know about the 60s? Yeah, young people who came to church because their parents made them, they were hostile. They looked at me like if, yeah, try to tell me something. That's what the audience Peter had. But he was solidly standing on Jesus, and he knew about the, the way, the truth, and the life, and he knew that Jesus was his Savior. What changed? The resurrection. Ditto with uh, Paul at Athens. At Athens, he could preach to a, not a Jewish audience, a Gentile audience, an audience that figured you had to have a lot of different gods. And Paul said, in Jesus, he is the God in whom we live and move and have RBA. We have 
that promise of Jesus as the light. We have it now. Go back to let not your hearts be troubled. With, with real compassion, with real love and understanding for his people. Jesus tells his disciples, I am going away. He doesn't fudge on that one at all. But I'm going away to get a place ready and I'm coming back. And this is the time we are in. He's in heaven now, getting a place ready, and he's coming back. Even so, John wrote at the end of Revelation, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And that's what we say, come quickly. We have life now, but we have even better life promised for us. Don't forget that. Don't forget that this whole ditty about bump, bump to the pump is to remind you to go to Jesus. Go to him when your life gets messed up, when you're thinking, boy, how could this ever work? Go to Jesus. There is a way out. There is a way to truth, to life. There is a way, and that way is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that uh, you will give each one of us the comfort and the hope of the gospel. What an amazing thing is your grace. What an amazing thing that Jesus, our high priest, is now in your presence, interceding on our behalf, praying for us, teaching us to pray, telling us that we are the children of God, O oh Lord God, give us your spirit to comfort and to assure us and to strengthen us and to cause us to know the way to go to find hope. Hear us for Jesus' sake. Amen.